I really think the next wave of innovation is going to be around human capital management, not necessarily technology advancement, which we know will continue and and likely accelerate. But it's how do we as individuals, how do we as humans capitalize on that? And how do we allocate our human capital in the right way? And in many respects, you know, it's the notion of what our director of innovation, a gentleman named Rod Collins, terms as collective intelligence, right? Getting the greatest ideas from the greatest group of people. And I think that's why you see so much interest in neurodiversity. Welcome to Innovational Correctness, a podcast all about innovation and transformation, hosted by David Luna, author, keynote speaker, and founder of Gamma Digital and Beyond. David and his guests discuss real-world practical advice on how to best harness the creativity of your employees and go from idea to product, giving you unique perspectives and insights into their success, all while separating hype from reality and replacing bullshit bingo with common sense. Let's jump right in into the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovational Correctness Podcast. Well, I'm not going to lie, I've been looking forward for quite some time in making this episode. So in this episode, we'll cover some of the following questions, what misconceptions there are surrounding autism and what misconceptions Rebecca had when she took over on the role as CEO of Autocon US, where autists outperform neurological typical employees and what types of challenges they face, how Autocon employs autistic individuals to solve some of the most complex problems for their clients and how they provide them with cutting-edge solutions, what Autocon's training process for people on the spectrum looks like and what types of accommodations need to be made for people on the spectrum and how companies need to change their interview and hiring process to employ a more neurodiverse workforce, what intelligence agencies and large corporations around the world already have neurodiverse programs and how they are leveraging people with disabilities for their purpose. Why not more companies are hiring people on the spectrum? How companies need to stop focusing solely on social skills and experience during their hiring process and why people on the spectrum produce better managers and in some cases are even better managers themselves. Why every company should employ neurodiverse talents and what recommendations my guests have for companies wanting to employ a more neurodiverse workforce. And finally, why this area will be the next big wave of innovation. My guests today are Rebecca Beam and Chad Hahn, who are involved in the founding of MindSpark, which now belongs to Autocon. Autocon is an international technology consulting company that exclusively employs adults on the autism spectrum as IT consultants. They provide services such as quality management, including transformation, migration, data analytics, data analysis, security, and deep web analysis, as well as compliance. Autocon is based in Berlin, its headquarters, and currently employs more than 200 people, around 150 of whom are on the autism spectrum. Autocon also has offices in the UK, the United States, Germany, France, Switzerland, and Italy. Dirk Remus, who has a son on the autism spectrum, launched Autocon back in 2011. The launch was actually inspired by the Belgian company called Passwerk. Autocon's concept to employ people on the autism spectrum as technology consultants has since been acknowledged internationally and they have received numerous awards, which include the IQ Award, Bitcom's Innovational Pitch Award, New Work Award, Social Enterprise UK Award, just to name a few. And even Sir Richard Branson himself has invested into Autocon. And then in 2018, Autocon acquired MindSpark. So to introduce my two guests briefly, 
Rebecca Beam is president of Autocon US. She oversees the operations for the company and is responsible for the domestic growth of the company. She is not only a tech veteran of Silicon Valley's tech sector since 1998, but her career also included senior leadership roles, sourcing and developing human capital for some of the leading tech firms, including Fortune 500 companies. As one of the shareholders and advisory board members of MindSpark in 2014, she became very passionate about improving the 80% unemployment rate amongst people on the autism spectrum and the need for these talented individuals to be employed. Chad Hahn is a partner overseeing the digital and technology practice at Otimity Advisors. He's also a serial entrepreneur with 20 years of experience, having sold two successful businesses. And he's also founded MindSpark, now Autocon, which unlocks the talents of people with development disabilities by teaching them software QA testing and employing them on enterprise projects. And just a quick reminder, I want to make this podcast much more interactive. So what does that mean? You can either suggest a guest or topic or send your feedback via email or even better as a voice message. This allows me to add your feedback to the podcast where all listeners can profit from your feedback and my response. Just go to innovationalcorrectness.com and click on either suggest guest or topic or leave voice message. Or if you prefer, just send an email to info at gammabeyond.com. Also, stay tuned until the end where I, as always, try to reflect on the interview and extract the key takeaways for you. Without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Rebecca and Chad. Yeah, very happy to be here. Thank you, David. Thank you for having us. I'm glad to have you. Before we start, would you mind uh, introducing yourselves to the listeners? Sure, I'll start. Um, so I am the U.S. president of Autocon. I started with MindSpark, uh, which was acquired by Autocon in June of 2018. My background is in staffing and helping people start their careers and build their careers in technology. And I do personally believe that there's a job out there for everybody to take their talents and skills and apply them in the workplace in meaningful jobs. And so when Chad introduced me into MindSpark when he had founded it and asked me to come and help, I saw this overlooked population that were so smart and so capable and not able to get jobs it hit my heart heavily and I, it became a passion of mine to work with individuals on the autism spectrum and help them start their careers in tech and build their careers. My background's in technology consulting. I've been heavily involved in the technology space for over 20 years. I started in technology straight out of college. I'm also a bit of a serial entrepreneur. And one of the ventures that I co-founded was MindSpark. And it was this notion of certainly we'll be talking a lot about it, of creating job opportunities for autism spectrum disorder. And that's how Rebecca and I got involved in this particular space. And she and I have known each other for many years. I, I'd say, Rebecca, we've probably known each other for 20 years. Um, probably more. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chad, what made you start Mind uh, Spark in the first place? Did you have someone in the family with autism or what led to that decision? 
It was actually my wife. Uh, she's a social worker. She runs a nonprofit that provides independent living support services for people with developmental disabilities. And uh, I started to get introduced to a lot of people that she was working with uh, who were diagnosed with autism. And, and I was very naive about autism spectrum disorder at the time. Uh, and I just remember thinking how intelligent everybody I met was and how it seemed odd to me that my wife would express frustration about how hard it was for these individuals to get jobs and thinking that it just doesn't jive with the experience I have with them. And in learning more about the um, about autism and about the capabilities of people I was meeting, I translated that into STEM fields and the technology world that I live in and thought, I wonder if there's a way that we can train and employ these individuals to perform software testing, which is part of technology that requires the very skill set that it looked like these individuals had, you know, pattern recognition, attention to detail and that sort of thing. And that's really how the idea started. So you basically saw a potential in people with this condition and tried to apply it in a practical sense. Yes. And there's a, an interesting anecdote that I often talk about when, when I talk about how MindSpark started. One of the individuals that uh, my wife introduced me to was a gentleman named Max Macius. And when I first met him and shook his hand, he asked me a question. He said, what's your birthday? He didn't say hello or anything else. He just said, what's your birthday? And so I gave him my birthday and he told me the day of the week I was born on. I just calculated it in his head. And it uh, turns out that he's a calendar savant and we don't want to perpetuate any stereotypes about, you know, individuals with autism being savants and the whole Rain Man concept. But that really stuck, stuck with me. And I thought to myself, if there was any way to harness uh, the capabilities of these people, it certainly was demonstrated through that anecdote. We mentioned autism quite a few times, and before we continue, it would uh, probably help the listeners to know what autism exactly is and how that, say, differs from Asperger's. Many people can maybe put a finger on it, but can't really explain what autism is. So would you mind explaining those terms and if autism is even the correct term to use? So, you know, autism is a developmental condition that affects information processing. You know, it's, it's diagnosed through a qualitative differences in social interaction, communication, repetitive behaviors, and our interest. Um, it's a spectrum condition. So that means that you know, there are different traits and people can have a combination of those traits. Asperger's is no longer recognized diagnosis here in the U.S. It's been brought into the DSM. So autism spectrum disorder can be with or without speech or language delay. And when Asperger's was a diagnosis, it was without speech or language delay. So, but now it's part of the full spectrum. You know, at Auticon, um, we believe in really listening to our employees and how they would like to be referred to as a whole. And we found that most individuals on the spectrum want to have be for, for, for referred to identity first, meaning autistic rather than someone with autism. And our employees here prefer to be referred to as someone on the spectrum or autistic. So someone on the spectrum is the, the correct or more acceptable form of addressing somebody with autism. Correct. Are autistic rather than someone with autism. Maybe someone can also explain to the listeners what it's like being on the spectrum. 
neither Chad or I are on the spectrum. So me personally, I could not answer that. People that I've I've worked with, I do see that many maybe have social anxiety or anxiety of some sort. You know, when you've met one person on the spectrum, you've you've met one person. So just like us, everybody's different and everybody experiences things differently. I can see some commonality in in some of our employees. For example, light sensitivity, sensitivity to sound and gen- overall, you know, anxiety in in some situations. And I think it's also worth mentioning that we shouldn't think of a spectrum as, as linear. It's fairly multidimensional. So each trait uh, represents a dimension where autistic individuals can fall on some end of that spectrum for that trait, whether it's audio sensitivity, sensitivity to light, social anxieties, uh, what have you. So it, it's fairly multidimensional and people shouldn't think of it as you're either on one end of the spectrum or, or the other. Now, some of the listeners might come across the term high-functioning autists. Can you explain what that exactly is? Sure. In my time uh, with MindSpark and working with Autocon and just learning more about the autism community is that there's a general rejection of functional labels, right? So the label, you know, high-functioning versus low-functioning, and rather, you know, focusing on the individual and their identity. However, I will say that the general, uh, I guess the general definition of a high-functioning autist is somebody that has strong verbal language and can generally pass as non-autistic. Might also think of these individuals as uh, not having any cognitive or behavior issues, but maybe more social anxieties that are that are actually quite prevalent uh, amongst the general population. So, Chad, you just mentioned the movie The Rain Man. How accurate are Hollywood movies such as The Rain Man, The Accountant, in portraying people on the spectrum? What do they get right and where do they completely miss the mark? The stereotype perpetuated by those movies is that any, you know, any autistic individual is a savant of some sort. And that's why I often hesitate to uh, talk about that anecdote because I don't want to perpetuate the stereotype, the one about Max Macius and being a calendar savant. Having said that, you know, savant syndrome, I think that's what it's called, is, you know, a completely separate thing from, from autism in general. I think Hollywood is getting better uh, through new TV shows and movies at at creating a, a more accurate portrayal of autistic individuals. I would say the vast majority that uh, of autistic individuals that we've worked with, that we've gotten to know, they're, they're not savants. If they are a savant of some sort, it's really amazing. Uh, it's just a, a wonder to behold. But that's more the exception than the rule. It's probably a vast exception. Yeah, and I think it comes back to us humans having the desire and the natural process, wanting to categorize things and people, essentially simplifying the world around us. So this categorization is a natural cognitive process, if you will, where you know we place individuals into social groups, be it man versus woman, black person versus an Asian or white person. And just as we categorize different objects, we categorize people into social groups or memberships and when we do so, we start to begin to respond to those peoples as members of a social group rather than individuals. And that's uh, sometimes a quite hard thing to not forget. You know, Hollywood's job is to sell the notion of a hero, right? And a hero has superpowers. And if you're going to portray somebody as a savant, they've got a mind superpower. And so, you know, we know in reality, it's quite different. Of course, you know, 
Hollywood movies are meant to suspend our disbelief. <laughs> so they, they just have a different job. <laughs> what are some other misconceptions uh, the general public has about people on the spectrum? So we recently um, did a video on stereotypes, um, and we asked this question of our autistic staff, and the answers came back that that maybe we're perceived as lazy or that we don't want to work or that we can't do well in the workplace, that we're either intellectually disabled or geniuses. So these are some of some of the feedback that we got from our own staff. I think some of the other misconceptions that only boys or men can be autistic and there are many women who are diagnosed less than, than boys, but we're finding that could be because of the diagnosing criteria. Some people believe it's it's something that they'll grow out of or that it's a disease that can be cured. And, and all of these are, are misconceptions. So I'll be sure to link that video in the show notes below. So Rebecca, when you took over Autocon US, I assume not all things went smoothly. And maybe you had some misconceptions of yourself about people on the spectrum not having worked with them before. So what were some of these mistakes or misconceptions you had? And what did you learn from them? Maybe you can share some of them with the listeners. Sure. Well, one of the first mistakes I made was when I when I joined the company, I decided to do some house cleaning and redecorate and paint walls. And I did that over a weekend. So the employees came into a new environment on, a, on Monday. And what I didn't realize is that change can be quite challenging for some individuals on the autism spectrum. And that change was very radical. So uh, many didn't like the color. Many, you know, expressed um, their dislike of the change in general. So I learned that if you're going to make changes like that, you need to prepare your staff in advance so that they can expect it and they know what's coming. I also learned that it's in incredibly important to treat each person as an individual and to get to understand them as a person. Uh, and that relates to accommodation. So if you, if one person needs something, that doesn't mean the other person needs the same thing. So learning how to manage from a compassionate and individualized perspective was very important. And I think that in itself is what has made this environment so very special for our staff. So there's also been a lot of research that shows that autists outperform neurological typical children and adults in a wide range of perceptional tasks, such as spotting patterns in distracting environments. And according to an article on Nature, which I'll also link in the show notes below, they also outperform in auditory tasks, such as discriminating sound pitches, detecting visual structures, and mentally manipulating complex 3D shapes. Where else do autists generally outperform people that are not on the spectrum? Yeah, so here, you know, pattern spotting and just general attention to detail is, you know, what ha what we have found that's making our analysts so great at quality assurance. Uh, I like to say they are wired to be better. We see our employees, they're extremely goal-oriented. They can be perfectionist. Um, they will put a lot of focus on a um, singular task so that it's completed perfectly. They also tend to be very honest. And so when you get feedback, the feedback is a real answer. Um, th these are the things that, that we notice. However, again, I always like 
to tell people when you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person. So although attention to detail and pattern recognition is a common trait, it's not a trait in all. Has there been any research or has anyone tried to extract the different way of how people on the spectrum process information and come up with these unique and unconventional solutions and how they are able to do these uh, extraordinary feats so that uh, people that are not on the spectrum like myself can also profit? So I'm thinking something along the lines of many math savants, for instance, when they do complex calculations and they explain how they do it, they basically use colors to represent numbers. And that could be applied for people that are not on the spectrum. Has anyone tried to do that? Or has there been some research in that direction? I'm not aware of any uh, studies or research in this area. I'm sure some research is being done. But my understanding is that, you know, when when MRI studies have been done, it's showing that um, autistic individuals' brains just light up differently uh, or in different places than uh, it would for neurotypicals for a particular task or thought process. So, you know, if, you know, if a lot of this is genetic, then I'm not sure how much can be extracted to teach an individual whose brain might just be wired differently to think the same way. Uh, but there may be some studies out there. Some people may argue that autism is advantageous and shouldn't be classified as a disorder at all, similar to what we see with HSPs or highly sensitive people, which now is considered an inborn trait and has been found in over 100 species with clear survival advantages. Would you generally agree with that sentiment? Well, I would say that it's not, a, it's not a disorder, it's a different operating system. The notion here is that disorder is probably not the right word. It's, it's certainly a difference, but I think it's also important to be clear that autism is a disability and that, you know, while many aspects of autism can be advantageous, there are also aspects that can be very difficult. And if you think about individuals, again, on that multidimensional spectrum that are on a far end of the spectrum, so maybe their sensory sensitivity is very acute. Uh, maybe their ability to process language is very acute. Maybe they maybe they don't speak. You know, it's certainly a disability. And um, I don't think we can discount that. Yeah, I really like the uh, slogan, autism is not a processing area, it's a different operating system. And, th and that slogan actually came from one of our employees in Europe. And one day he just said, autism is not a processing error, it's another operating system. And um, we thought that was really, really neat. So Chad, you mentioned something interesting, which reminded me of the award-winning UCLA professor and author Dario Nardi. And he tried with an EEG to map brain patterns or distinctive cognitive processes to Carl Jung's work and Myers-Briggs personality types and to see if there's any validity behind the personality types. And indeed, he did find very distinctive cognitive processes among these 16 personality types. And that can massively help people to get into flow more often and how low threshold activities can actually help people engage more creatively and improve their workflow or learning. So I found that very interesting, though, even though some people may seem very similar, they could exhibit very, very different brain patterns, and their brain could light up very differently from someone that might seem on the outside very similar. So and I'll be sure to link that book as well. It's called The Neuroscience of Personality and is actually backed up by real science. 
So how does Autocon specially employ people on the spectrum and what types of work do they do in these client projects? Can you give us some concrete examples of some of their works and some of their maybe extraordinary feats that they deliver to their clients? Sure. So, you know, at Autocon, 80% of our staff is on the spectrum. And in here in the U.S., most of those individuals are acting as QA analysts or QA automation engineers. But across, um, you know, Europe and we're in Australia and Canada, our staff works in a myriad of technology areas, whether it's data analytics, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, cybersecurity, compliance reporting. So we, we do all kinds of different projects. Here in the U.S., we are focused on um, software testing and software testing automation. We structured our program around teaching software testing. We felt that it is a very trainable skill and a good entree into technology. And we're giving opportunity to individuals with a high school diploma. Many of our analysts do have college degrees or advanced degrees as well. Um, We have many, many stories uh, of success and how we have made a difference in projects and have been able to find anomalies in data that have then saved companies tremendous amount of money. All of our people are working predominantly in technology-related roles. However, we do try to hire individuals on the spectrum for other roles within the company. So, for example, our finance person is on the spectrum, as well as my assistant. So, we have found that they perform extremely well in software testing. So it seems that they're mainly involved in very technical and cutting-edge fields solving very complex problems. Would that be an accurate description? Absolutely. I mean, we have story after story, um, especially in Europe, of our analysts being able to solve extremely complex problems. And I would also, you know, just like to mention that um, we've been asked before, isn't it disruptive? And the answer is, isn't that what you want? I mean, many companies are talking about how they need disruption in their way of thinking. And it's no better way than to have somebody on your staff that has a different way of thinking about a problem and a different way to solve the problem. So we have found the advantages of having an individual on the spectrum within a, you know, team to be quite beneficial to the team in problem solving. Yeah, and I can confirm this in my innovation consultancy, and I see this on an almost daily basis in innovation projects. So when companies are trying to solve very complex problems, they have a tendency to use convergent thinking, so include people that are related to the project in the workshop. And I always focus and tell the CEO that always looks at me and is like, you really want to include people from controlling, accounting, admin, and these other departments into the project, into the workshop? And always yes. The more diverse we can create the group, the more divergent the ideas will become and the results will be much, much better. But it's quite funny that the companies are not really utilizing and realizing the potential of a group of the population that can solve very complex problems in a very unorthodox and different manner. And we need more people that are different and 
think different. So I find that quite astonishing and sad sometimes, really, that very different people don't get included into the process. Yeah, that's an interesting point. One thing that's worth mentioning is that here at Auticon, traditionally, we had a non-autistic staff member conducting our training. And our training is, is four weeks, and it's in software testing and automation. And when we lost our trainer, we tapped uh, one of our autistic resources on the shoulder and said, would you like to try to train? And since he has become our trainer, our success rate of graduation has has increased tenfold. Oh, wow, that's extraordinary. The point I wanted to make, sort of follow on what you were saying, David, is I really think the next wave of innovation is going to be around human capital management, not necessarily technology advancement, which we know will continue and, and likely accelerate. But it's how do we as individuals, how do we as humans capitalize on that? And how do we allocate our human capital in the right way? And in many respects, you know, it's the notion of what our director of innovation, a gentleman named Rod Collins, terms as collective intelligence, right? Getting the greatest ideas from the greatest group of people. And I think that's why you see so much interest in neurodiversity and how you're starting to see that permeate within enterprises because people are starting to catch on to the fact that if you've got a diverse group of ideas and you can have that divergence, you can converge on a better solution. So I agree with you in that regard. Yeah, absolutely agree. And there's so much untapped potential. There's no question about it. So there's also government intelligence agency, which I'm not a big fan of most of them anyway, uh, like the British GCHQ, which have a neurodiversity program, which recruits people with conditions such as autism, dyslexia, and dyspraxia, and is built on the idea. And I'm quoting the former director, Robert Hannigan. He says, we need all talents and we need people who dare to think differently and be different. And there's also a Israeli army unit called, I believe it's 9900, where according at least to the, the Atlantic, autistic people act as the eyes on the ground for very highly sensitive operations, analyzing very complex images that come from the satellites. And essentially help save lives. And what I found most striking about that is these are government agencies and not companies. Companies should be at the forefront. They should be much faster in adopting innovative ideas. And yet they're not even hardly tapping that potential. Yet companies are solely focusing on technology to become, say, 10% more efficient. Why? If there's so much potential elsewhere. So, Rebecca, you mentioned the training process. What does that entail? And maybe we can start at the interview process. So if you found someone on the spectrum that could be potentially a good fit, how does that whole thing take place? Can you give us some insights? Yeah. So, David, we have two tracks here at Auticon. Uh, one is through our training, and the other one is if an individual has a background in technology, we can hire them straight away and bring them onto our staff. So I'll start with our, our training program. Our training program is four weeks, and the criteria to be accepted is a high school diploma and really desire. When we do our assessment, we start with an informal chat. We prefer to refer to it as an informal chat because the term interview can be quite daunting for individuals. So we we start with an informal chat and then we'll welcome them in for an assessment. We do do some cognitive type tests and we're really looking for not 
whether they get the right answer or not. It's how coachable um, they are. Will they interact with us? Because as they're training, there's going to need to be a level of interaction. And so once they get through the assessment and they're accepted into the training, they go through the four-week course If they pass, they can qualify as a paid intern. And from there, through the internship, they become an analyst and there's a whole career trajectory. For individuals who already have a skill in technology, we'll hire them straight away. We do a workshop and the workshop is a workplace readiness workshop. Within this workshop, we're looking again for their ability to work in a team, for their ability to communicate and problem solve and um, but we do focus a lot on workplace readiness. One of the other things that we do here is we have a job coach internally and this individual works with uh, our staff around career goals or perhaps things that they might want to work on to um, be able to work better in a team environment, that type of thing. Yeah, there was actually a concept uh, I came across uh, not too long ago, which had two components to the interview process or how to evaluate an interviewee. And the one was coachability. So give someone feedback and see how well they do. And the other one was learning agility. So throw a bunch of new tools at someone and see how well they can learn it. So that seems very similar to what you're trying to do. Is that correct? That's yeah, that yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say the coachability piece is is the biggest piece. Because as we're teaching someone a new skill, you know, you have to be willing to be coached and interact and work with another individual to learn that skill. Um, and we do this through independent study and group set you know, in a group setting study and also one-on-one. And we want to, we want to look for the capability of an individual to perform well in all three scenarios. Companies seem to be solely focused on social skills when it comes to hiring. And I'm not saying that's wrong per se, but it excludes a lot of uh, potential. Shouldn't more companies change or adapt their whole interview process instead of forcing or retraining people on the spectrum to behave more like neurotypical people? Or shouldn't we just get rid of or stop on relying on credentials, experience that actually have very little correlation with on-the-job performance? What's your opinion on that? Well, I agree. Absolutely. And, and we do see companies starting to change the way that they do their interview process. There are quite a few, you know, autism in the workplace uh, programs starting up. You've probably heard about Microsoft's program, SAP's program, and they are specifically adjusting the way that they interview and uh, get to know the individual. And I do agree that we need to stop looking at um, certain criteria for employment. For example, college education. Many individuals that are on the spectrum are not able to go to college, not because they can't pass a course or get through a course, but it can be um, the anxiety of the social aspect that can prevent them from being able to attend college. And so um, this criteria of having a college education 
I think should be set aside because we have many individuals here on our staff that are incredibly, you know, they're high performers and they do not have a college degree. Um, things like in an interview, having having to have somebody look you in the eye to be able to hire them. Well, many individuals on the autism spectrum will not look you in the eye, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be a great employee and perform well. Yeah, and there's also something I would like to add, which I find very strange. On the one hand side, you have companies complaining about the war on talent or the lack of qualified employees. Here in Germany, especially, uh, almost every company complains about that issue. And I always tell companies there's only a shortage of talent in politics. But on the other hand, you have a huge potential, especially since the European Commission says that in the EU, uh, they could face a shortage for up to, I think it was 900,000 skilled IT workers by next year. And the global unemployment rate for people on the spectrum remains at around 80%. So you have a huge pool of untapped potential, yet the companies are complaining that they have a lack of talent. Now, is that just a lack of imagination? Are they lazy? Is it a lack of awareness? So if there are so many advantages in hiring neuroatypical employees and there's a shortage of qualified people where almost every company is complaining about this issue, why aren't there more companies hiring more neurodiverse people? Is it really just a lack of awareness, fear, uh, fear of costs of, of hiring these people? What, what is it? What do you believe is the, uh, the cause? Well, I would say that there's definitely a lack of awareness at play. And in many respects, uh, we started MindSpark to tackle this very problem, this problem of tremendous IT demand, demand for skilled IT workers, and a supply, a, a talent pool that uh, in the autism community that was particularly untapped. Now, we know not everybody in the autism community is going to be right for particular IT job, but that's no different than the population in general, right? Some people are not right for certain jobs. But the idea behind MindSpark was really to see if there is a way to unlock the talent or help unlock the talent of this untapped pool of resources that can help meet the demand. And, you know, we were able to show that there is a way to train individuals who maybe don't have the IT background needed to start a job, get them trained so that they can work on that job, and then hire people um, who do have an IT background but happen to be on the spectrum and help them find a career path as well. Now, I will say this. I think the world is changing, right? The uh, the notion of neurodiversity, uh, I think worldwide, but particularly in the U.S., is a big, hot topic amongst large enterprises. And it's not just the Microsofts of the world or the SAPs of the world, Germany, uh, AT&T, a lot of other large enterprises are very interested in increasing neurodiversity in the workplace because it is something that will help propel the company forward. It goes back to what we were talking about before, David, the notion of people thinking about problems in a different way generates a greater solution. So I think we're getting over the awareness issue. And the next issue is going to be more around training, right? And that's another area where Audicon and companies similar to Audicon can help. You know, companies who've had some experience 
uh, training individuals on the spectrum, autistic individuals to move into IT jobs, helping disseminate that training so that we can get more people employed. I, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of movement in that area as well. Yeah, that seems like a very encouraging trend. And let's hope that more and more companies, especially in Germany, will continue to, to realize this untapped potential. I do find, though, that some companies are afraid um, of making a mistake. And when they hear the term accommodation, they shy away. So I think it's an education process of these companies and corporations of what needs to be done and how to support the individual. And I, I do agree with Chad that companies are opening their doors more and more to individuals on the spectrum. But I think there's a lot of work to be done to um, educate the corporations on the benefits and how to support the individual. Rebecca, you mentioned accommodations. So what are some of the basic accommodations or requirements employers need to have in order to better cater towards a more on-the-spectrum friendly environment or to basically attract more neuroatypical people? I would assume, for instance, an open office would be the exact opposite of what someone with autism, for example, would want. Is that assumption even correct? And what are some of the basic requirements I would need to have as an employer to attract this type of talent? Well, interestingly enough, David, the open office concept, we, we thought that that would be something that our staff members would not like. And it was quite the opposite. When we were building out our new office in Culver City, we were looking to put cubicles in for everybody to have their own private space. And the team um, said no. They wanted to have an open workspace so that they could work together. And so that concept definitely is is false. But one of the things that, you know, I do find very important is not to have bright overhead lights. Uh, many individuals on the autism spectrum do have a sensitivity to light. So in our offices, we do not turn on fluorescent lights. We have lamps and low lighting for our staff. Um, also, you know, allowing staff members to wear noise canceling headphones so that they can concentrate. Noise sensitivity um, can often distract our staff from being able to accomplish their tasks. So we give them the option to wear the noise canceling headphones or listen to music. Um, you know, other, other things, uh, I mean, healthy snacks. I mean, that's something that's very important, making sure that our staff is um, provided good nutrition and um, frequent breaks, the opportunity to get up from your desk frequently and go take a walk. Um, it, those are the things that, that we find help our staff. Oh, that was surprising. I would have thought that open offices is the exact opposite of what they would want. But uh, there you go. There's a misconception that I had. I personally don't like open offices, uh, but there you go. However, I do find it's really important to have a quiet space, you know, a, a space where they can get away and be alone if they feel the need to. Companies that are on board with hiring more neurodiverse people and people from all walks of life, how would they need to accommodate and change their interview process to make it much more inclusive and attract these types of talents? So if there's a HR person out there that's listening, what would they need to do? Ideally, well, we find that you know, starting with a, a phone discussion is always best. Um, 
we feel like, you know, the interview should be, you know, more focused on testing the skills and the knowledge that is needed for the job rather than testing their soft skills and their ability to engage, Um, you know, Asking for answers in writing or over email can also help an individual um, express themselves uh, for the job, but not necessarily be put in the position of having to be in front of an individual as they're answering. There are so many different ways that you can adjust your interview process that is autism friendly. So the beginning of the interview process, it seems to be more focused on the actual skills and the actual job that will be done. Correct. What are some of the concrete challenges an employer would have when hiring someone on the spectrum? If it's an in-person interview, I think, you know, it can sometimes be uncomfortable when a person doesn't make eye contact with you or fidgets or um, you can visibly see that they're uncomfortable. But just to accept that and to just listen to the answers and listen to what they're saying instead of how they're behaving, because that's really important. You're looking for the skill. You're not looking for, unless it's, you know, a job that requires incredible soft skills, that's probably not the right job for that individual. But if it's a tech job and you're looking for somebody who's proficient in development, you should be looking at that skill, not necessarily the the way they interact with you. My follow-up question would be then, how do you determine when and how to modify your interview process if you're completely inclusive, you have a job description and someone applies, and that person might not be aware that he's on a spectrum or has some other condition? How do you determine when to modify your interview and, and, and how? I mean, I would assume that's not quite easy. I would agree. I mean, companies have a certain way um, typically of going through their hiring processes. You know, a lot of organizations now are having autism at work programs and specifically hiring individuals on the spectrum for certain jobs. And in those instances, they are changing the way they go about interviewing. I believe that If that's not the case and you are not aware that the individual is on the spectrum, but you're interviewing the person and you see that they're uncomfortable to perhaps in that moment modify the way that you go about interacting with the person and create a more skills-based assessment. Okay. So let's say a company is basically on board with the idea of hiring people on the spectrum, for instance, for a project, which they have and they want to solve a complex problem, but they're not quite ready to hire people on the spectrum themselves because they lack the skills or are just not ready yet and are still maybe afraid of doing so. And they want someone like Otacon to hold their hand or try out this uh, concept of including these types of people on projects where they need to solve very complex problems and see some of the results that they can achieve for themselves. How would that whole process work if I, as a company, would approach Otacon? Sure. So the you know, when we when we work with our clients and we understand the requirement, we will find the individual and in our staff that is best suited to uh, work in that environment. We do firmly believe that integrating individuals with autism onto projects in the workplace has many, many benefits for our clients, not only in the way of solving complex problems, but also uh, in a way that 
individuals will understand and be educated that, yes, I can work with somebody on the autism spectrum. So at Auticon, the secret to our success is we place the individual within the project and we provide a support mechanism through a job coach and a project manager. And the job coach's responsibility is to identify the accommodations that are necessary to help this our staff member be successful in the workplace, ensure that those accommodations are being met by the client, also educate the client on how to work with somebody on the autism spectrum, and just be there as a general support mechanism for both our employee and the client. And then our project manager deals more with support from the technical side. So if our employee uh, needs help on a particular technology, then our project manager is there to support that person. So that support piece is key to our success at the clients. At at first thought, it seems very logical to include a support person that ensures that all the accommodations are met for someone on the autism spectrum. But if I were to hire someone on the spectrum, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have thought of that to include someone that makes sure that all the accommodations are met for someone on the spectrum. Right. And David, it can be as simple as, you know, um, Bob does not like his hand shook. And we have had employees that have done major presentations in front of C-level. However, they have anxiety around being touched. So our job coach will just go in and make sure that the individuals who are going to be in the meeting know the accommodation and don't shake Bob's hand. And eliminates the anxiety and lends itself for a successful meeting. So at this point, I think I and probably a lot of listeners are wondering how do the customers act, especially if it's someone, say, from C-level? Has there been any pushback from, say, a CEO that is confronted with maybe some foreign accommodations with, okay, I'm not allowed to shake his hand, but he's presenting to me and he lacks basic social skills? Um why is he even here? I mean, has there been any pushback? I and mean, what are the reactions of some of the customers that might uh, view these very strange or peculiar accommodations as, uh, as as foreign to them? Has there been any feedback in, in that direction? What's been your experience so far? Overall, our customers have welcomed us with open arms because, again, there is a tech talent gap and they need the talent. They're trying to solve more and more complex problems, and they do know that a diverse way of thinking can help them do that. We make it so easy through our support with the job coach and the project manager. It's it's pretty seamless, and um, we do find that, that our clients have open arms for us and our staff. And also, David, point I wanted to make is, um, you know, every company that's interested in neurodiversity is going to be a, along a different maturity level scale, right? People or companies that are that are more mature from a neurodiversity standpoint are likely to want to stand up their own uh, neurodiversity department uh, where they're going to do direct hiring of a neurodiverse, you know, of neurodiverse individuals 
including autistic individuals. Then you're going to have companies that are not uh, far enough along on the maturity scale, not because they don't have the desire, but again, it comes back to maybe a lack of awareness or fear. So, you know, if you're a VP or an executive at a company and you're interested in neurodiversity, but you're worried about how to make it successful or what the cost might be for accommodations or whether it's just going to be too hard, then you have fallback options, right? Options like Oticon, where you can either hire or hire a vendor like Oticon to have their employees work at your location, you know, at the client's location with the necessary accommodations and support like job coaches and, and, um, and project managers. But then you can also simply outsource the work you need to a company like Oticon where the work can be done in their office, where the accommodations are already well set up and they are already far along on the maturity scale when it comes to neurodiversity. And in all three models, you're helping to move the movement forward. So there's a lot of options for companies depending on where they are on the scale and what their comfort level is. And one of the things that, that Rebecca and I often talk about is how any company that moves into this space, either by hiring directly neurodiverse talent or autistic individuals, or by simply working with companies like Oticon, and there are other companies out there in the space, you know, they are pushing forward a social movement through value creation, not through, not just through philanthropy. And that's really where we see the movement pushing forward uh, more quickly. And that's what's most exciting to us. Yeah, and Chad just dismantled about every possible excuse companies could come up with to avoid having to hire neurodiverse people. And yes, it should be just about the result. If your employees do their best work at night or in a coffee shop and that produces the best results, then that's all employers should care about. And companies have multiple options. They can either outsource the work to Audicon so their talents can solve the issue that the client is having, or they can hire people from Audicon, hire these talents, and work alongside the client and learn from that experience to maybe hire more neurodiverse or people on the spectrum later on themselves. So there's actually no excuse anymore for companies to not try that. Or as Nelson Mandela famously said, he never loses. Either he wins or he learns. So a follow-up question I would have to that would be, there might be some companies and people out there that are still skeptical and are quick to judge and say things like, well, these types of companies only hire people on the spectrum out of sympathy or out of charity. What would you tell these people? Well, I would say that the models like the one... Uh, MindSpark had, the one Oticon has, the one that several companies around the world have, really nullify that argument. And, and the notion here, again, is let's drive society forward through value creation instead of philanthropy. You know, the company that wants to hire a neurodiverse population to check off a box um, or to meet some federal mandate, but they don't really care about the movement you know, they may be doing it from a sympathy standpoint, but honestly, David, we've seen very little of that, if any, um, in our experience with this with this movement. Uh, what we've seen overwhelmingly is that companies, people, we're, we're all humans. We all want to help, uh, you know, create opportunities for all people, including um, autistic individuals uh, or individuals on the spectrum. And if there's a way to do that through uh, through the free market system, through value creation, where 
nobody's getting a handout, but rather the individuals that are performing a task are doing it just as well or as better as anybody else, regardless of uh, whether or not they have a condition. Uh, you know, then you've created a model where uh, society can move forward into neurodiversity because it's a, a, a better it's a better way to make progress as opposed to uh, because uh, maybe it's uh, something you want to do from a sympathetic part of your humanity. And so there are entire companies like Otacon that you know, whose whole existence is employing individuals with autism because they do a good job, not because, you know, maybe it's something people want to do from a philanthropic standpoint. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. I'm not a big fan of uh, federal handouts. And I think, in my view, it's better to give people a long-term perspective or opportunities and giving them a job and making them work for money, as that not only gives them responsibility, but also a purpose and meaning in life. And that might not be the most popular way of thinking, but in my view, it's the most sustainable. Instead of giving them handouts where they don't have to do anything so I absolutely and wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, and companies are happy to pay for it. You know, if, if they're asking for a service and that service is provided by a team of individuals who just happen to have autism and the work product is good, the companies are happy. They're happy on two levels, right? They're happy because they got the job done and they were able to help support a cause. Yeah, and it brings us back to what you mentioned, uh, Rebecca and Chad, is you know, raising the awareness with companies that they have such untapped potential that they could be using but aren't using yet. Absolutely. It's all about education and breaking down those barriers and the fear of getting it wrong. And I think the more we educate society, uh, the better better we'll be in opening our doors to hire individuals on the autism spectrum or individuals with disabilities in general. So there might still be some companies that are still a little hesitant saying, you know, why should I change my hiring and interview process and invest all this time and effort for accommodations, etc., essentially being worried about the increased turnover or what is even the, the turnover with people on the spectrum? Well, our our experience empirically is that the um, turnover rate and attrition rate uh, with uh, our autistic employees is extremely low. And I don't have exact figures, but Rebecca, you you might. But it in our experience, it was it was extremely low. Uh, and that's certainly going to be attractive to any company because turnover is always a problem for for every company. And uh, you know, for for all the reasons you mentioned, right? It's a retraining cost, a, a loss of productivity costs, and that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, if we were to ask the question, well, why is the attrition rate so much lower for autistic individuals? I don't know that it has anything to do with autism, to be honest with you. You know, if if uh, you're an employee and you're at a company where you feel valued and you believe in the company's mission and you enjoy the people you work with and things feel good, you're going to stay there, right? And, and, and so in many respects, uh, attrition has to do with how aligned the individual and the company, uh, the individuals in the company are with each other, as opposed to, you know, what sort of uh, neurodi neurodiversity condition that they might have. So, uh, you know, it's just in our experience, you know, one of the things that I, I used to love about the employees at MindSpark was just the look of satisfaction on their faces when they did a good job, right? And you just can't replace that feeling. We're, you know, we're humans, we're hardwired to have a sense of belonging. 
And so, you know, if you're somebody uh, who's dealt with a lot of adversity in your life because you're on the autism spectrum and, you know, societal norms don't jive with the way that, that you look ab- uh, at the world and think about things. And that's, you know, you felt outcasted because of that. And you come into an environment that's got the right kind of accommodations for you uh, that, that gives you interesting work. Uh, that helps to train you and you feel aligned with the company's mission, you're going to have that sense of satisfaction. And as a result, you're going to be very loyal to the company. And so, you know, I'm sure that has something to do with the lower attrition rate. Uh, But I also think that companies can't sit on their laurels, right? Uh, MindSpark, you know, before it was absorbed by Otacon, Otacon, other companies in that space, any company, you know, the world's changing. People are changing. Their values are changing and companies have to change with it so that they can uh, continue to attract and retain talent regardless of you know whether they have autism or not. I would agree with that. And, you know, I often say to the companies I'm speaking with, you have to invest in your staff to keep them, to keep them happy. And that investment can come in the form of accommodation um, or it can come in the form of training. But I do find that our staff is very loyal to us because we care about them as an individual and they feel very supported. And I think any person in a workplace that feels supported by their employer will remain loyal and stay at the company. Yeah, and I think that's a challenge that every company has is how do they retain their employees and how do they retain their best talent? So the question I would have as well is, wouldn't that fact of managing very untypical employees or non-typical employees make better managers because they're forced to adapt their managing style, their skills, their way of interacting with employees Wouldn't that fact in itself make better managers? Yes. I have found that um, by working with my staff, I've not only become a better manager, but I've become a better parent. Uh, I have two children. Learning how to have a more factual communication style has been incredibly beneficial in my life. And, you know, many individuals on the autism spectrum are quite factual and they prefer to have factual communication. And um, this has helped me. And I know as a manager, also having the compassion for each individual has made me more compassionate overall in my life. Why aren't more companies hiring these type of talents that are willing and able to solve very complex problems in the face of talent shortages, as they always say? So is it just a matter of educating these companies, raising awareness? Why aren't more companies hiring these talents? And I think it just boils down to education uh, of the corporations and the individuals and the managers. And and, and we're going to get there. I mean, at Auticon, we have a goal by 2023 to have a thousand employees working for us who are on the autism spectrum. Um, and these in- employees will be both in our offices, but also integrated into other workforces. And that's going to raise awareness. That's a nice segue to one of my last questions, which is, what are your top recommendations for companies wanting to employ more neurodiverse employees on a long-term basis? Yeah, I think being willing to listen, being willing to learn, um, being willing to adjust your 
your practices, flexibility. And so to get involved, you know, I, I recommend, I mean, I talk to many companies. I do a lot of lunch and learns. And it's not always around what Otacon can provide. It's around the benefits of neurodiversity in the workplace. So uh, starting there, just a willingness to listen and learn. And they can reach out to me at any time and I will speak to them. I will speak to their teams and begin the education process. And I think it's also important, you know, for any listeners of this podcast who work at a company where you think the company might want to get involved in in this movement um, is to think about it this way. You know, Rebecca and I talk about this. I, I think we're on a building wave of the next social movement. You know, we've had social movement around uh, all sorts of human rights, women's rights, uh, racial rights, uh, you know, rights for individuals in the LGBTQ community, right? We see these movements happen to push society forward. I think the next great movement is to neurodiversity and companies like Oticon and others who work in this space are starting to break down the, the barriers that make it very easy to get involved in the movement in the ways that we had talked about before. And so I, I really think something special is going to be happening over the next five to 10 years. You know, in 10 years from now, we may think about neurodiversity and its benefits uh, the way that we think about LGBTQ rights today versus, you know, 20 years ago. And so it, it's very exciting time uh, because of that. And there are very easy ways to get involved in the movement. If you're interested at all in this space, um, start doing a little research or have a, a phone call or two. I guarantee you all it takes is one phone call with you know, people like Rebecca and I or other people in this space or companies in this space uh, to be able to head down the road of increasing neurodiversity in your workplace. And it's not even just a workplace thing. It's just increasing your exposure to neurodiversity in general because it will achieve better outcomes it, simply because when you have a divergence of opinion and a diversity of ideas, better uh, outcomes are produced. It's the whole reason I, I read a book um, about six months ago, the famous book, The Cathedral and the Bazaar, and it was about um, it was about the open source movement in the late 90s and early 2000s and this ability of individuals working on a part time basis to create software that rivaled the software that was created by you know companies like Microsoft in a more traditional sense. It worked because there was a diversity of ideas coming into a particular problem domain. And, and, you know, if you translate that into neurodiversity, if you have people who think about problems in a different way, you're going to get a better outcome. And, you know, the, the key to getting involved is, 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 is as simple as a phone call or as simple as Googling, and, and you'll be able to move down this path. Yeah, and open software was considered a very crazy idea back in the time. So you have a bunch of people working together that are very diverse, and they're developing software that is supposed to be better than very well-funded, homogeneous companies like Microsoft. And look at where we are today with open software. And that just shows what the power of diversity can achieve. So my last question would be, how do listeners that want more of you or want to engage in a conversation with you two, how do you want them to contact you or what is the best way to contact you? I think for me, the best way would just to be uh, an email to our info at auticon.us. And so I-N-F-O at A-U-T-I-C-O-N dot U-S. 
Yeah, and for me, uh, uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, Chad A. Han. Uh, can also email me directly, uh, hello at chadhan.me, just first name, last name, dot me. Uh, and I love to speak with people about this topic. Yeah, I'll be sure to include all that in the uh, show notes if uh, listeners want to get into contact with you. So is there something I didn't touch on or forgot to ask you during the interview that I should have mentioned? I think one of the things that's really important to note about Otacon is that we have such tremendous investors, people who invest not only their money, but they're also their time in seeing us succeed. Probably the most recognized name of our investment team is uh, Sir Richard Branson, and he's really, really focused on helping us build a more inclusive society um, to include neurodiverse employees. So we appreciate our investment team and our advisors tremendously because that's allowed us to succeed. Now that we reached the end of the interview, I want to not only give you my thoughts on the interview and some additional insights, but I also want to address those companies that remain reluctant to hire very different people or still believe in the myth that there is a shortage of talent, especially in Germany. And remember what Chad said, the next wave of innovation will come from human capital. I believe in order to tackle some of the most complex challenges we as a human species face, we need all people with vastly different talents, backgrounds, and skill sets. It doesn't matter if these talents have disabilities or disorders. The time where we could be choosy and picky on who to include has definitely passed. Sure, I mean, we humans are hardwired to like people who are similar to us, but in today's world that is becoming ever more complex, we need people from all walks of life that not only are different, but also think and, yes, might even act very different from ourselves. So in the following, I really want to encourage more companies to change their thinking and to take the roads less traveled to uncover these untapped resources and talents. Dear companies, you know who you are. Why do you reluctantly still want to believe in the myth that there is still a shortage of talent in the marketplace? Quit making up excuses. There's no shortage in talent, only a lack of imagination to include those people who currently don't fit nicely into your standardized interview process so you can tick off those boxes that lie to you in reaffirming your candidate is the right fit for your company. There's a famous aphorism that says beggars can't be choosers. And if your company is complaining about the shortage of talent and you're not willing to adapt your hiring, let alone your interview process, but on the other side, there are so many untapped talent pools out there, you have absolutely no right in complaining. That's like me saying, oh, I can't find a job. There's a lack of jobs out there because I'm not willing to learn new skills or work more than five hours a week for anything less than, say, $200,000 per year. Of course, there's going to be a shortage of jobs for me. What about older professionals that are above 50 years of age, which German companies in particular love to discriminate against? And why are you still expecting the date of birth on CVs? What possible insights do you expect from that information other than to discriminate against older professionals? Why not just substitute the date of birth with the candidate's shoe size? Or think of mothers in maternity leave. Most companies are pretty slow in allowing employees to work from home. Why not let your employees take care of their children and work from home? Shouldn't the result by itself matter and not where and how your employee achieve these results? And funny enough, with the coronavirus, jobs that were not possible remotely are all of a sudden possible because they are forced to do so. Well, isn't that convenient? Remember the time before there was online banking? 
Does it really matter from where you do your banking nowadays? Of course it doesn't. So why not apply the same thinking with your most valuable asset you have in your company? You know, I get it. We humans and companies too can get very creative in making up excuses on why not to do something or try something. But during our interview, Rebecca and Chad dismantled almost every possible excuse companies like yourself could have to avoid hiring neurodiverse people. If your company is not quite ready yet to hire such people, you can outsource your project to companies such as Otacon or Pasvac or others and have these talents solve your complex problems. Or have these talents work alongside your current team and gain some experience with working with neurodiverse people. Now, is it going to be an easy fix? No. Will you make mistakes along the way? Hell yeah. Will you learn and become a better and more inclusive company because of it? Absolutely. And for you to be able to hire people from all walks of life, not just autism or any other disability, you need to stop relying on social skills when it comes to hiring. You companies need to stop the compulsive behavior of forcing or retraining people on the spectrum to behave more like non-autistic people and change your interview process. Remember, the list of things that you are not supposed to do in a job interview is practically the definition of autism. As Steve Silverman, the author of Neurotribes, a book which looks at the evolution of autism so eloquently said, you don't need to say you require X number of years of this or that or the other or these degrees and certificates because sorry to break it to you HR people, at the end of the day, those things have very little correlation with on-the-job performance for anyone especially in a more volatile and uncertain world. Here, I'll cite one of the many studies for you. The Florida State University reviewed 81 studies to look for a link between employees' prior work experience and his or her performance in a new organization. Guess what they found? They found no significant correlation between the two. Even when people had completed tasks, held roles, or worked in functions or industries relevant to their current ones, it did not translate into better performance. So the conclusion, experience does not predict a new hire success. And Chad is a really good example of this. Remember at the beginning of the interview where he mentioned he didn't have any experience in social work, but was able to solve a pressing problem his wife had that actually had extensive experience and formal training in social work. But yet Chad, with his very different uh, tech background and his personal experience with uh, autistic people, he was able to solve this problem. And it often takes people from very different backgrounds to solve a very big or complex problem. Even the inventor of the digital camera, Steve Sasson, once famously said, innovation best comes from people who really know nothing about the topic. And that's something we tend to forget. So you need to focus on strengths and not deficits. And look for two things during the interview process. One, coachability. So giving someone feedback and see how well they do. And secondly, learning agility. Throw a bunch of new tools at someone and see how well they can learn it. So that concept really stuck with me. And as a result, you can take someone who has never done the thing that your company is hiring for and still have a very high degree of confidence that you found someone that will not only be good at their job, but really great at it. Large companies such as SAP and Microsoft are already leading the pack with their neurodiversity programs. In 2013, SAP launched their program where they employ currently 160 autists across 13 different countries. And SAP's Autism at Work program has a 90% retention rate of hires on the autism spectrum because it creates a system of support around those employees. 
This is also something that Rebecca and Chad mentioned in regards to Otacon's very high retention rate. And similar results can be found at Microsoft's program. And it even makes better managers, as these companies have proven. I would even argue it's better than any expensive seminar for your managers. And if governmental agencies, such as the GCHQ and the Israeli Army, have neurodevice programs, why can't your private company? And, and finally, I also want to address those out there listening that feel out of place, underappreciated, different, have a disorder or disability, and want to encourage you by saying you should look at yourself as a color. You may not be everyone's favorite, but one day you'll meet that someone or that company who needs you to complete their picture or their team. And there's also a famous quote that sums this up quite nicely as well. The razor blade is sharp, but it can't cut a tree. The axe is strong, but can't cut a hair. And essentially that means that everyone is important according to his or her, her own unique purpose. And that's why you should never ever look down on someone unless you're admiring their shoes as the old adage goes. You're perfect just the way you are. And you shouldn't feel the need for any blending or social camouflaging. So I hope I could at least encourage some of these very reluctant companies to do different things, to hire different people, even if they act completely different, even if they lack basic social skills. They might also have a talent that you just have not discovered yet or that's completely untapped. So don't be afraid to hire very different people. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. People that are different will challenge your current views that you have, uh, the current processes, the current culture, but that's a good thing. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's plenty more where that came from. Just head to our podcast website, innovationalcorrectness.com or gammabeyond.com, or just follow us on LinkedIn. There you will also find long-form articles, videos, and other podcast episodes about innovation and transformation. And if I could ask you for one small favor, it would be this. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Overcast, or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps us out by encouraging more people to find our podcast and reach hard-to-get guests. Last but not least, if you have any suggestions, for further episodes or guests that we should invite on our podcast or just have feedback, you have three options. Emailing us at info at gammabeyond.com, filling out our anonymous feedback form at innovationalcorrectness.com, or leaving us a voice message with your question or feedback so that it can be included in the podcast and all listeners can profit. Just go to innovationalcorrectness.com. Links are in the show notes. I've been your host, David Luna. Until next time.